and welcome to episode 121 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in Strixhaven. My name is Stanislav here in sunny Beaufort, South Carolina, and with me on the line from sunny Texas, it's our special guest for this week, Everett Mohan, aka Aspiring Spike. MTGO user, Aspiring Spike. My preferred title, MTGO user, Aspiring Spike. <laughs> Streamer in a wizard costume himself. As always, we got the one and only Shane yeah. Beeps. That's me. Hello, Stan. I hope you're enjoying your, your pontoon boat-filled vacation. You know I only ride jet skis. <laughs> and, of course, the godfather, Dave Harbarger. It's me. I'm, I'm here. Stan's on vacation. I'm coming to you live from Chicago uh, through a Pfizer-induced haze right now. <laughs> oh, my, my man vaccinated. Friends, please get the vaccine. That's all I'm going to say. If, if you're not, please think about it. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, friends, if you can't tell from our probably already apparent weird overtalk, Stan is on a remote location with bad internet. And so that makes video conferencing dicey. So if there's anything that sounds weird, it's because we're hearing it weird as well. It's the internet here is so bad. I might not make it through the entire episode. If I'm if I have some drops, I'm just going to drop out of this podcast tournament. We're going to get real weird with it today with, you know, <laughs> Dave on the Pfizer and uh, Shane on the bad internet. Well, it's, well, Stan's on the bad internet. I'm just bad. I'm bad at <laughs> just magic. Just a bad magic player in general. <laughs> <laughs> on this week's episode, we will explore the initial impact of Strixhaven on both modern and historic. You know, while the power level of Strixhaven itself didn't blow anyone's minds, there are some potentially powerful new options to both build around and test in existing shells. So we'll first look at a few early historic tournaments that took place this weekend and try to highlight a good amount of decks in the cool decks ink section you know and love from occasional episodes. Then we're going to head into the dive down where our semi-resident expert modern brewer Everett will talk about the results of his latest testing. And Dave might have some stuff to say too. And since we've all been testing new decks in Historic, might as well talk about those as well. I guess everyone but Spike. I'm on the, just looking through the window, wishing. <laughs> Are you wishing? Yeah, I, I would love to be brewing in Historic. Uh, but the, the problem is... It's just so expensive to get into it. Yeah. And I really only want to play Historic for like these two or three weeks before the format is just, I think, going to be a show. But I, I, could, be, I could be wrong. I, I could totally be wrong. But I think it's going to be really fun for a few weeks. And then uh, I don't think it's going to be that good after that. Well, I can't wait to hear some more about that when we get a little deeper here. That's awesome. Yeah, sticking with our recent ambitious episode outlines, we might even try to answer some listener questions at the end. Really thrilled for our first dive down swear word, though. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I said it, I was like, eh, we got an editor. It's you totally fine. It. It's fine. Shout out to newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Kyle G and Gemin C, as well as big thanks to Sean D for going up a tier. Thank you to all three of you. Right on. Welcome, new uh, citizens of the nation. And, of course, Sean D for that increase. We also had a new review. Mm -hmm. um, iFunnyReader, I which is a funny name, they came over from, from Spotify just to leave us a review. Uh, they're also the first person I know to say uh, on the record that they only listen to the breakdown. 
I did not know there were breakdown stands out there. Uh, so I appreciate you sticking with us. They just want pivot tables. Is that so wrong? <laughs> I guess this means we can't abandon the breakdown, even though we frequently wonder whether we should. But now we won't. People love it. <laughs> um, speaking of that, Patreon, if you want to help us keep going, if you want to support the pod, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down. All sorts of various tiers for you to throw your hard-earned money at us. Uh, we earn it not working quite as hard, I imagine. But we do appreciate all the citizens of the nation who help us afford things like the editor and like the swag that we've been able to produce. And I know a lot of people are going through that that playmat tier. If you're at five bucks, we actually have been we, we started now um, not only releasing the episode as soon as we get it back from the editor, but we're throwing this video. The VOD goes up on YouTube in a private secret link that only you can know if you're at five bucks or above. So you even get it. Kind of like next morning. I don't know. You get to see our silly faces uh, mess up and do retakes and stuff like that. But yeah, and my face is very good today. Let me tell you, my beard oh, is man. unruly. I'm sweaty. It's it's a whole thing. You got you got the you got the glasses reflections. Yep. These are fake glasses, by the way. I just put them on for effect. <laughs> just like Everett. Yeah, yeah. These are not a uh, prescription, but I stare at screens all day every day, so I like thought to have the the glare. Oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are these are blue light glasses, but uh, my eyes used to bother me at the end of every day. And I was talking to my partner about it, and she's like, "Well, why don't we get you blue light glasses?" And so they work. Yeah, they they really work. My eyes don't bother me anymore. Sponsored content. Yeah, this episode brought to you by Helix Helix glasses. <laughs> I think that's what they're called. <laughs> I have no uh, idea. <laughs> we're also uh, brought to you by Mana Traders. I'm just going. Into the, I'm going through these plugs. Mana Traders, fifteen percent off first three months. We've used them for a long time. They're good. Uh, we rent a lot of cards. I'm sure. Uh, I think Everett rents from them as well. Mm-hmm. But he's not as aggressive with the with the with the pat- with the patronage and the sponsorship. So use our code. Yeah, I'm an MTGO user, not a content creator. So <laughs> <laughs> the the dive down, all one word, uh, three months, fifteen percent off. And also download Untapped for Arena if you haven't. Uh, it's great. I track all my games and look at my depressing stats from my early testing. Uh, untapped.thedivedown.com. Totally free. We get a little kickback. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. And this week, we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of different decks, or a couple of different tournaments here. So we're going to start, Shane, with you on some historic, right? Yeah, I guess it's, it's my turn for the breakdown. So I heard there's a few people who are smarter than me saying that historic is essentially a, a new format. Like the old pillars of things like Auras, like John Sack, like Gruel, all of that is going to have to reprove its worth in this historic format because you've received this huge influx of new and high power level cards. And that's not even only from the Mystical Archives. Like there are a few strict saving cards getting in the mix. So I, what I thought I wanted to do this week for the breakdown is look at some of the results of these early historic tournaments that are taking place this weekend, see what people are bringing to these virtual tabletops, have a little Cool Decks Inc. session to highlight a surprising number of these new decks we're seeing. And uh, so we'll start with this Insight Esports 1K Historic IQ. And so not to be rude to Insight, but do any of you know who these people are? i never heard of them before. Uh... I think I heard about this tournament, but I don't really look into the details of it. But I have I've heard the name Insight Esports before, yeah. 
So if they're, if they're getting into magic, that's cool. Um, it looks like these IQs are gonna be taking place in preparation for an invitational on May 22nd. So if you wanna play in a historic tournament for 10 whole bucks and the chance to win some cash, get in on that. They had 73 players this past Saturday. I'm gonna guess the next one will have more. This is my prediction. Uh, so let's run through this top eight. Um, the, I would love to have gone through the meta, but the naming, I think they just don't require deck names. So like 95% of the decks were unnamed, but I was not going to go through them all to make a meta. Come on. It's, just so, it's so early. Um, but first place noted Orzov, Oras, Aficionado, Mizorel took it down. Uh, mostly stock Aura's deck. I did notice two go blank and a fracture in the sideboards. New Strixhaven cards. Second place, Michael Braverman. He seems like he's been on a tear recently with uh, in these online tournaments on Melee. He was on Is It Phoenix? The birds are back in force this week. I've seen so, so, so many tweets about people just loving playing the deck again. I'm going to guess we're going to be talking about this deck later in the dive down. This version had four Storming Entity, three Crackling Drake, a Brazen Bower, and no Sprite Dragon. Hmm. I was thinking, what is Go Blank? Is that Go Blank the two and a black discard to exile the graveyard? Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. I actually saw Gabe and Steve streaming with that card today as he was playing some Arena as well in Esper Control. So interesting to see people bringing bringing that in uh seemed okay against against is it phoenix in the in the match that i watched with it but not like super amazing but seemed like a reasonable tool actually you know i never really thought i would see mind rot in a deck but uh maybe the gravy is good enough yeah i think we're entering into an era of magic where cards that have incidental graveyard hate like kai's guile cling to dust these cards are really really high priority cards yeah, let's. I'm gonna pick your brain on Kyle's Guile. Uh, Kyle's Guile, Kaya's Guile. Last week we kind of talked about this in showing up in Esperica, and um, it's you know it's kind of like a three of in a lot of these decks, and we're like, you know, is it just flexible enough? And is it it's is it the kind of thing where graveyard hate has to be something that just can be sticking around in a card, or is Kaya's Guile just sort of good enough even in its other modes? Yeah, I think Kaya's Guile is particularly well positioned in the current metagame. The incidental life gain and the removal against prowess is huge. Dredge is pretty popular at the moment, so having a main deck graveyard hate spell is super nice. But I don't think it's going to be good in every single metagame. I remember it being fine in the Uro Field of the Dead format. Just there's so many zombie tokens flying around everywhere. Um, but I, I think it's a, a really uh, powerful tool to have access to, and cards like that that are very flexible and can be efficient hate against a variety of formats while providing value in other ways or just something you want to be looking at for your fair decks these days. Makes sense. Thanks for the little sidebar there. Third place, Riley Hicks on Selesnia Company. New cards in this sort of historic tier two staple. Uh, four PVDDRs, also known as Elite Spellbinder. A couple of Ephemerate. Uh, noted spike card for ETB value, maybe potential removal dodging. Like, I don't know how often you're hoping to sort of uh, avoid a removal spell for value with an ephemerate versus just get ETB value, but I guess that's part of the flexibility of ephemerate. Fourth place, Alfredo Berrigan on Orzov Auras. Absolutely no new cards I could see. Fifth place, Mike Valenti on Jeskai Control. And so when I say Jeskai Control, you probably can guess what 85% of the cards in this deck are. 
There's a few interesting inclusions, however. Narset of the Ancient Way as a one of, which it's a planeswalker that you've probably never seen cast. It can sort of act as like this life buffer, a removal spell, a semi win con. It's just, I, I have a hard time imagining getting four mana value out of this card, but apparently uh, they liked it. And another singleton in Sphinx's Revelation, which I honestly did not know was historic legal but it was part of the Amonkhet Remastered set. So why not? What are the red cards in here? Is it just Lightning Helix? Is Electrolyze in here or anything like that? I, did not, I don't think Electrolyze. I think there is uh, Lightning Helix. I think there's like some Anger the Gods and maybe like, you know, the, the kind of typical things to sweep away aggro, aggro creatures. Maybe I think there might be like a Flames, like what are those, uh, the, the Flame Breath, whatever, like everything but the, the flying creatures. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sixth place, Francisco Sanchez on Selesnia Company. Uh, this is a little bit different. There's no main deck Yasharns for Francisco. I guess they were not in fear of Jun Sack, and I think that was the right choice. I don't think Jun Sack was much of anywhere this weekend, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Seventh place, Josh Yukawa on four-color sort of graveyard ultimatum shenanigans. Like I'll, I'll get to this in the Cool Decks Inc. segment. Eighth place, Mitch Socks on Simic Taking Turns which I think we'll probably also go over a bit in CDI. Next up, Hooglandia Open. Hoaglandia Open, excuse me. Uh, noted streamer, on-again, off-again Magic player Jeff Hoagland has been organizing regular Hoaglandia Opens in different formats, sometimes with custom ban lists, but I think that was maybe only for a brief period. This one, of course, was for Historic, and no bans as far as I know. Had 115 players in this one. Jumping into that top eight, First place, Tom Maxwell on Gruel Aggro. Never count out the questing beast because there are four of those in this list. Uh, definitely an ap- aggressive commitment to this four drop. No new cards that I could see in the list, though. D Beard on uh, D Beard 115, excuse me, on Orzov Humans. We can talk about this deck in a second as well. James, Jason Ames, third place, Jeskai Magma Opus. Fourth place, Brad Williamson on Teamer Opus Flash. Don't worry, I'm not skipping past these decks. We're going to talk about what Magma Opus is doing in a second. Other than just having a real lot of text on it. Just like a lot, a lot of text on that. Yeah, it just, it, it does a bunch of stuff that doesn't seem like it's worth eight mana. But we'll talk about kind of the, the incidental text on there that helps out quite a bit. Fifth place, Drew 3141 with Boros Wizard Prowess Burn. Going to be talking about that deck later on this episode. Sixth place, Nolan Honey on Teamer Opus Flash yet again. Seventh place, Matthias Akio Yanagrira on Is It Phoenix? It looks like you expect. Eighth place, Silly Cheese on Gruel Ponza? I think I'm contractually obligated to talk about this deck in Cool Decks Inc., right? Man, all the new decks were in this tournament top eight. And an old deck won, but still a lot of innovation happening happening at the Hoaglandia Open. Even though I think previous Hoaglandia Opens were basically par for the course, historic fields. Didn't seem like a tournament environment that bred innovation per se. But it looked like this was a breakout weekend for a ton of technology. For sure. A lot of worrisome stuff, too. <laughs> I think what Spike was talking about earlier, this is yeah. the some of the decks that people started to go, oh, this is what they meant by time warp and this is what they meant by etc this is what stan meant when he said it was going to be a spell-based uh format yeah i think it was the perfect storm for 
a tournament that was completely unexpected, all the deck lists, where you had a ton of fresh new cards, changing up the format, and just no time to test for them at all, or not, not nearly enough time. Really, really exciting like to host a tournament specifically on this weekend. Yeah, right, exactly. This is like this is this takes me back to like the first weekend Star City game standard yeah. events. Like where you, you you weren't ever sure that this the deck was gonna stick around, but you knew that it was gonna be cool for a weekend type thing. And I, I like that these independent tournament organizers are really trying to get in there and say, Hey, we've got new cards, let's we've got MTG Melee, we've got Arena, like who cares? The overhead is non existent, let's just get this done. So good on these TOs for getting it done, and and I'm sure we'll see more tech as uh, more people are having these tournaments. So let's get into the cool decks, Inc. I'll start with four-color graveyard ultimatum shenanigans. I think that's the official uh, deck list, I mean deck name. Uh, Josh Yukawa, again, finished seventh with this at the Insights Esports 1K. And what this deck appears to want to do is put good stuff into the graveyard with notable OK card Faithless Looting, uh, new cards like Prismari Command and Thrilling Discovery, and then get these cards back out with Unburial Rites and Mizix's Mastery. So un- what Unburial Rites is, if you have not cast it, uh, the, f- the normal casting cost is four and a black, or it can be flashback for three and a white, and it basically says, what, like return target creature from graveyard to battlefield, right? Yep, reanimate. Reanimate. All right, so Unburial Rights in this deck has a the juicy target, and I believe only target, of Scholar of the Lost Trove, which is normally a five blue-blue spell. Uh, but when Scholar ETBs, you get to cast a target instant sorcery or artifact from your yard without paying for it. Uh, Mizzik's Mastery is three and a red, lets you cast a target instant or sorcery from your graveyard as well. Uh, so, of course, this deck needs some high-powered target spells, so it's got things like four Emergent Ultimatum, a couple Time Warp, some Alrin's Epiphany, Omniscience, even Sublime Epiphany, to do something like recopy a Scholar. What's wild to be, though, about this deck, it has basically no main deck interaction, and it just assumes that it's going to win with the game plan it has in mind. Post-board, it can shore up other matchups by having access to four Mystical Dispute, four Rip Apart, three Deafening Clarion, three Ley Lines, and even a Pact of Negation. But yeah, this on game one, this this deck is like, I'm going to do what I want to do, and if not, uh, that kind of stinks. But Yeah, one weird thing to me here is no Mind's Desire. I would think that that card would be perfect for a deck like this. But maybe, I don't know, I there is a distinct lack of cheap spells in the format, although I feel like when you... You get to uh, merge an ultimatum and throw like one Mind's Desire in that pile. At least that'd be pretty good. Next up, Simic Turns. Mitch Sachs run this, ran this in the Insight 1K. Definitely a popular deck that we're seeing all over Arena. The basic gist of this deck is honestly pretty simple. Ramp, cast taking turns, and then cast more taking turns. Uh, Planeswalkers like Narset and Tamiyo help you dig to turns, and then various other tech pieces like Balaged Recovery or Narset's Reversal or God Eternal, God, God Colonel, God Eternal, Kefnet, and Tamiyo all enable recasting that time warp. There's, of course, some Ulrin's Epiphany because why not have some more ways to take more turns? I'm sure there are many, many small things I'm missing about the way this deck operates that might not be the case, uh, but there is the deck. I've also seen some versions like Nissa. 
for massive mana generation and you get really good value on each turn. So I've also seen Hydroid Crisis for some really incredible payoffs as well. So yeah, when you're taking a lot of turns, you're, you're doing something good with these valuable cards. I think it's a deck that most of us thought would be around <laughs> with taking turns coming, maybe taking or, uh, no, uh, time warp coming. Maybe uh, it's sort of like a lot of the cards from the original like Uro Simic shell, all those powerful cards with a new payoff kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of think we're going to see more time warp decks that are less focused on just casting time warp infinity times and just using it as a super powerful value card, which seems great in a format like historic. Yeah. Um, I know LSV and uh, BK over on Constructed Resources had a very uh, thoughtful and more intelligent than when I'm providing you conversation about the new historic. And uh, that was their take too, I think, is like that time warp decks are going to be iterated on fairly quickly and sort of like reach the right balance of early control versus late game like what what the speed needs to be of the deck to survive and then what it needs to do to to win and just win conclusively so i think we're going to see some variants on this deck as we move forward for sure shane this next deck or yeah. humans someone yeah. named Deerbeard 115 came in second place in the hooglandia open with this and this seems like it's a little bit up your alley if i might be so bold as to say yeah cheap- yeah i mean it's it's cool. Cheap aggressive humans like Season Hallow Blade, which is a card that I think is done well in standard as at the low end, and then uh, Luminarch Aspirant, which is a card that I always fear whenever I have to face it down with a deck because yeah. it makes your opponent's creatures get giant. And then you get to pump them with things like Rally the Ranks, General Kudro, and kind of go from that. Of course, it also has Spellbinder, Skyclave Apparition, and Giant Killer, which is actually like a pretty reasonable card in in historic a number oh, of times. Yeah. I think so, especially against. Maybe a little bit more in the previous metagame where you were going to face down giant creatures and auras a lot. So I don't know necessarily if there's always going to be a payoff for that in the main. But lots of good cards and humans starting to come together. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, then you get you get access to non-human stuff, right? Like Skyclave Apparition, of course. I think you mentioned that. And then like Dire Tactics, which is a card that I've been mildly surprised has not been as playable as it is but it's it's i think it's something in that orzov humans deck in pioneer that's always bounced around for a bit and we see it here it's just like what like black white exile target creature and if you don't have a human you play pay some life or something like that you you lose life equal to its toughness yeah so good card um this this deck also runs two silver Sil- silver quill command, which is the four mana sorcery Orzov command. Hey. I mean, it does stuff. I don't. I doubt that this is like something essential to this deck's success. But I mean, giving something three three and flying, drawing a card, losing some life, they're all like mildly valuable. Uh, a hard, I have a hard time thinking it's four mana valuable, but uh, they 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 ran it and good on them for testing it out. Yeah, I think the card makes a lot of sense in a deck like this, in a format like this. And I, I hope that it can uh, go the distance. Yeah, I mean, m- yeah. the more playable commands, the happier we are here, for sure. Yeah, I'd love for one of them to be played. I mean, Prismari Command already seems like it is playable, so I guess that that one's on the side. But it'd be nice to have another one that was. We did kind of think that this might be the other one that was playable, even though it's pricey and a sorcery for some reason. But... All right, Shane, next deck. Kind of a big breakout for the weekend. Magma Opus. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you remember what the card Magma Opus does? Can I read it for you? Please. Can I Google it first? 
<laughs> oh, I got, I got it. I got it right here. Six, six blue and a red. Oh, deals four damage. What a deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for eight mana, you hope it does stuff. It, it deals four damage divided on any number of targets. Taps two permanents, creates a four-four blue-red elemental, and draws you two cards. That doesn't even seem like it's worth eight mana. Well, right? it's not. It's not on its own. But there's more to the card. Yeah. Oh. Yep. What is that? That for two mana you can uh, spend. Is it hybrid to discard it and make a treasure token? Uh, which is very very interesting to see that on on a card. You know, it's kind of like cycling, but instead of a card, you get a treasure. And also. Uh, makes these spells really um, enticing, cheaty targets because mm-hmm. the the cycling cost is very quote unquote cycling cost is very cheap, and uh, we have some new spells that do that in historic, including Mizzix Mastery and of course Torrential Gear Hulk, which people are yeah, always just works keeping an eye so, on. So perfect with Gear Hulk, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So like, what's what's the this is the setup worth it here? Like, I mean, Gear Hulk is four blue blue for your giant Snapcaster robot type thing, right? So. I mean, you do get the treasure token to speed it up. Like, are you getting it out faster than turn five? Like, I guess maybe the teamer decks, you're probably trying to ramp, yeah? Well, you can get it out faster than turn five if you, like, Prismari command. But for, for on turn five, for five mana, if you count the treasure token, however you want to do it, for to get a five, six body, deal four damage, draw two cards, get a four, four body, tap two things, and instant speed is, is incredibly, incredibly strong. And... You know, in your control deck, you're also getting to eight mana in the late game, anyways, and so you have these the super powerful top deck they just cast, and you get to make a treasure token early, and then set up for these really powerful turn fives. Um, I actually played Magma Opus in, in Modern uh, for a league, mostly just for fun and like a teamer reclamation deck, and that combination did feel uh, really powerful to me. Not probably not modern powerful, but feels like a great fit for historic. That's sweet. I mean. What like this? So it's kind of like what a controlling e removal e flash cre- like I, I know there's simic builds that have like the flash creatures and f- like instant speed ramp spells, and then you just take over the end game. Usual yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. I've seen the teamer version is actually running the Qu- uh, Quandrix command, which is I think you know I think it can what bounce a permanent back to someone's hand. It can exile. Uh, a graveyard or like a, you could or you shuffle like three cards from your graveyard back into the library so i think that's it's it seems like it's cute like you know you play a tor- torrential gear hulk maybe bounce it back get to do it again type thing why not if you got a couple juicy targets in the graveyard this is so not shane's deck listen to him talk about this and just be like <laughs> i guess it's cool oh. i don't know this is like not a thing i like i uh. well i mean it might have to be a thing I know better than I do because they just posted the top eight of the Insights Esports 5K. I don't Which really was know today. how it, yeah. they went from a 1K to a 5K. Um, our top eight has three Opus decks two, uh, in it. Two Jeskai and one Teamer. Yeah. Interesting. So get to know how this deck works because you're going to start seeing it. Just as an aside, this this event was won by Yuta Takahashi on Blue Black Rogues, which is in historic, which is <laughs> awesome to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I think that's just the top eight, but I don't know if that's the finishing yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could be wrong, but yeah, he's. I Still. think uh, they are the first seed. Yeah. Okay. Final deck, Dave. Mm-hmm. Do I get? I want to get the. Well, this is this, this is uh, <laughs> yeah. this is one that we would have Stan do, but unfortunately Stan oh, has no. gone back. Oh yeah, we lost. We did, we did lose Stan to Island Time. 
It's Gruul Panza. Gruul Panza and Historic, a deck that he wanted to have happen, that he thought might happen from Stone Rain. And I poo-pooed it instantly. Yeah, but here it is. Tell me about it, Shane. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's got Ramp, Llanowar Elves, Gilded Geese, and Paradise Druids, a couple of those. Uh, and then turns the corner with some classic threats like Thrag Tusk, which I honestly did not know was Historic Legal. Or uh, Historic sh- Playable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. is like It's interesting that they're doing Thrag Tusk. I think they also had a singleton of, uh, what's that better five drop? Gargaroth. Yeah, so they does, it has like two Thrags and one Elder G, which I found interesting. Uh, Chandra 4, of course. Um uh, Elder G, Glory B, Clothis. And then the Ponza element of this deck comes from Goblin Ruin Blaster, which uh, two and a red for a 2-1 Goblin with haste. That sounds bad. Oh, you can kick it for an additional red mana, destroy a target non-basic land. Of course, it has Stone Reigns. also has four Saw Tusk Demolishers, a 6-6 six, six Trample that uh, is like a mutate creature. And when it gets, you can mutate it onto a creature for three and a G. When you mutate it, it, you can destroy a target non-creature permanent that does include a land. Uh, the controller gets a 3-3 beast token. So what, it's like a beast within, but with no, but a non-creature. There you go. So there you go, Ponza fans. Stan, if you were here, I'd love to get your take on this, but have fun with this style of deck while you can. Craft those rares. I don't know about you, but I definitely opened four stone rains while I was looking for brainstorms. So uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> is I'll... It a, was it a rare? It is a rare. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. I know. I also opened four Urza's Rages, which are also also a rare, which is sweet. Ooh. Thanks, thanks, uh, Arena. It's kind of weird we didn't see any Urza Rages decks uh, in the top eight here. Yeah, I must that, have missed them. Uh, Everett, I don't know if you have you been on when we've talked about Urza's Rage before. Uh, no, but no, so I <laughs> yeah. I used to have a card store. My my dad had mm. a card store when I was growing up. When I was like. 16 17 18 years old and it was right around the time that invasion came out and i remember that urza's rage was like a 50 dollar card at one point in time because people thought it was so sweet to wow. pay 10 or whatever it is for <laughs> unpreventable 10 damage with kicker um yeah pretty funny yeah cards of the past it's a sweet it's a sweet cards for sure sweet card for sure yeah all right shane closing thoughts on historic here Man, historic is gonna be buck for a while. It's gonna. It's here's my here's my take, and this is not an original take. This is heavily informed by other people's conversations that I agree with, and that I think that I think that the a few of the pillars of of historic are not gonna exist while these new cards are around. And I think that like I think decks like Gen Sack. and like the mid range grindy decks that we knew are no longer the mid range grindy decks that we knew. And they are now going to be taking turn stacks. They're not going to be magma opus decks. And I think we're going to see, uh, I think there would be a chance of new triumvirate, sort of, of aggro and like over the top control combo and maybe disruptive taxes style decks. I think we're already starting to see like a Esper taxes style deck that we'll talk about in the dive down that I think has a lot of game against what other people are trying to do. Uh, I think Meddling Mage is going to be cool against certain combo-y style decks, but that's maybe a reason that we're going to see a wider suite of win cons. I will get the job done. So anyway, I think that Historic Historic will change. It may not change for the better. I think that we're going to see some decks that are going to be tuned and take over the meta in certain ways, and people will have to sort of, if they're the tier zero, then everything will be warped around that. 
and we've seen that happen in other formats and that's not always the best so but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be running around. I'm not gonna be what Chicken Little. Sky is falling. Um, I am gonna enjoy it while I can. I've been having fun testing some decks. So, so ever as an outside observer to this format, mostly you said that you had some thoughts about what was gonna happen here. You have a. Fe- I have a feeling like maybe you have a, a winner. You might yeah. want to project in this incoming meta or some trends you think might emerge. Well, I, I would say that I'm probably not as in tune with the historic format enough to predict a winner necessarily. I think that a lot, I think that in my opinion, these next few weeks, next couple of months in historic are going to be really fun. Brewers paradise, get to play a lot of stuff, have a very good time. But I also think that the historic format more and more is going to be defined by these Strixhaven spellbook cards, by the anthology cards that they're printing in. And they're going to be less and less defined by you know kind of what the format was intended to be a place for you to play your old standard cards that you couldn't anymore Uh, yeah and i i don't think that's inherently a bad thing i think that ultimately what's most important for a format is for it to be fun and maybe historic will always be really really fun but i also think it's inaccessible and unfocused and it does seem like to me that specifically these Strixhaven cards are going to be so incredibly dominant and in that while they'll be really fun for like three weeks, four weeks, a couple months, I'm worried that you'll get tired of seeing them in the top decks for, you know, forever, as long as they're legal in the format. Faithless Looting, Brainstorm, Lightning Helix, Inquisition of Kozilek, just these cards are so, so dominant and yeah. they're maybe not too good, but they are definitely going to be format defining and uh, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. Yeah, and they really are some of the best spells mm-hmm. ever designed, right? Like, they really are. Like, the Mystical Archive, the ones that they banned um, were the top tier. I mean, it looked like my favorite cards from Revised mm-hmm. that they banned, basically. But these, uh, the what's left over is still some of the best, and that that's what the Mystical Archive was supposed to be. But, yeah, even playing the last couple of days, it's been a lot of seeing cards in those borders all the time. Everybody has them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we're going to see a lot of combo-enabled sort of strategies that just have really big payoffs, right? Like, I think, like, this Unburial Rites, uh, like, flashback graveyard deck type thing is going to be mildly unnerving. And, you know, taking turns, of course, and, like, this Magma Opus, is, which is not even uh, a mystical archive card. Uh, it's it's just, just enabled by the sort of the power level of the rest of the, the format, so... I don't know. It'll be exciting. If you're a historic fan, I'm sure you're playing. So thanks for listening to some new decks to keep on your radar. Yeah. So before we get out of the breakdown, I did want to talk about a little bit about modern this weekend because Everett uh, top aided the challenge on Saturday of this week. And we're going to talk more about decks that he was playing over the weekend, especially ones that have strict saving cards. But the deck that you played in this event was a little bit of a callback to some shells that you'd had success with a while back, I, I think. And so I'm just curious to know, like, what did you think of that tournament? How is it feeling playing it? And um, how did you end up on Grix's control-ish for this uh, for this particular event? Well, um, I arrived at this list uh, in kind of a weird way, I suppose. Well, I, I, I you know, as, when, as soon as Throne of Eldraine came out, I was playing a lot of Grixis Control with Drowning the Lock and Into the Story. And yeah. that was a long time ago. And when, as long as Uro was a modern legal card, Drowning the Lock and Into the Story were not very good, in my opinion. They lined up so well against specifically Uro. Um, but that card's banned now. 
and I've been trying out a few different Blue Black X Control shells. I've been playing Blue Black Control for a while. And uh, a few weeks ago, I put together this Sultai Control list with Lurus as a companion. And I was playing Tarmogoyf as a win condition, mostly. Mm. Where Lurus is this super valuable card advantage engine in the control deck like this. But the cost you pay when you pay Lur- when you put Lurus in your deck, you don't you can still play your Archmage's Charms, your Cryptic Commands. But what you lose are your win conditions. You lose Jace the Mind Sculptor, the Fairy Hero of Dominaria, Shark Typhoon. Um, so I was playing the Sultai deck with Ice Fang and Tarmogoyf and Lurus. And it was pretty good. I liked it. Um, but I... You know, put the, uh, it was like Monday of this week, I put together this Grixis variant that instead of playing Tarmogoyf, is playing Sprite Dragon, which synergizes so well with the Mistress Bobbles and is, is ultimately a much better win condition than the Tarmogoyfs were. And mm-hmm. so when you move from Sultite to Grixis, you do lose Ice Fang, which is a really powerful card, and you do lose Tarmogoyf, um, and you lose the, the Triome, which is a big deal. But I think Sprite Dragon being so much better than Tarmogoyf uh, and, you know, getting access to Lightning Bolt makes me prefer this Grixis deck to the Sultai one. And I was I, I was playing it on Monday and Tuesday of this week on stream. I 4-1'd like four leagues in a row. Whoa. And usually, and usually when I have a, a, a new list that I really like, I just like to play it in a tournament. And I did have some Strixhaven decks together, but none of them were really wowing me and none of them were anything that... I felt like I really wanted to play in a challenge off the bat, so I played this deck, and I started off 7-0 in the Swiss. It was really cool, and then I lost to John Shadow at round 8 of Swiss, and then I lost a really tight match against uh, the Blood Moon player in the first round of top 8, um, and uh, I actually played them in the Swiss, and I beat them. Really good player, really interesting match, and I like the deck a lot. I think it's good. Awesome. What what were any notable things that you saw in this event? Otherwise, like any Strixhaven cards appearing that surprised you that we're not going to talk about in a little bit or um, anything mm. else? Well, I saw a couple of Prismari commands specifically out of that Blood Moon player I yeah. played against and, and against the Niv Mizzet player. They were playing Prismari command. But um, my impression from this challenge and my impression overall is that Strixhaven is not going to be a very impactful set to modern. Uh, you know, p- potentially Clever Lumamancer establishes a, a new archetype or a new variant of the Prowess decks, and then there's probably like ten to fifteen toolboxy kind of cards that different art that different archetypes get uh, that you know power up the archetype a little bit, give them an interesting option for specific metagames, but uh, nothing that is going to be super easy to necessarily build around and establish a new archetype and. It feels kind of weird, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, w- I would say that, you know, it's like we got Valky and Temple's Trickery and Omnath and Field of the Dead and Uro. We we had been getting lots of things that really did, you know, thrust themselves to the forefront. I felt like almost immediately, but yeah. not this time, I think. Blasted every time a new set came out, basically. Yeah. We got totally blown up. Um, but yeah, this time it does seem like not. it's worth noting. I'll go through the top eight of this event really, really quickly. The de- the first uh, first place was Dredge, second with by Zerk, second place was Black Green Elves by Magic, or Max Magiker, third place was Eldrazi Tron by Tuna Tuna K Tuna K Tuna K, Jeskai Moon Tico, fifth place Grixis Control from Aspiring Spike, our good friend, F- four color Shadow in sixth place by Homestar Fifty Two, who I think is Michael Rapp, and uh, F- Freycom was on Red White Prowess, and then Red White Burn from. Quiniac. 
the cards, the one thing that was interesting to me, of course, is that uh, Thrilling Discovery as a four of in the dredge list immediately. I think we weren't sure if it was going to make it completely right, but here it is, first place. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Dredge always does this interesting thing where people are very willing to test for a while. And then it sometimes sort of, it always seems like it comes back to its fundamentals. And I think that the the pro and con of this card in terms of what it does to your mana base and what it does to your initial keeps and what it does to uh, the reliability of things you keep and your you know turn three plays and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think we'll see how that works. I mean, I am more than happy to have a new tool tool to play with in uh in dredge so i'm i'd be fine if it works but i've definitely have have had tried stretched dredge mana bases and it always bites you in the butt yeah i think the mana base is definitely doable workable it's a little more painful but you also kind of make up for that because this card gains you two life um and also haggle has felt like the worst card in dredge for as long as they've been playing that card oh yeah and so it's not, not very good yeah, the fact that you do get this big upgrade is, is uh, I think, nice for Dredge players. Absolutely. Uh, a couple other notable cards that we're not going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, one of them is Vanishing Verse showing up in this four-color uh, four color shadow list out of the sideboard. I think we talked about it as good card to have around to get around Heliod. But it's just I think it's just a good card, you know, like sort of Vindicate-esque with Exile for two mana is not bad right yeah i i played with this card in esper control this week and it felt like a fine card to have access to it doesn't feel like it's going to be a format defining removal spell in the way lightning bolt or fatal push or path to exile is or maybe comparing it to like lightning helix is Mm -hmm. a better comparison because it's a two mana spell and uh you know, you know, terminate is modern legal and sees almost no play. Right, and and so just that by nature of being a two mana one for one in a format that has lightning bolt, fatal push, oust path to exile, on the nice, uh, it, it it's not something that I think you can play a ton of. I think that Esper control, Niv Mizzet, uh, Shadow decks will play one or two in the seventy five. Sometimes, maybe sometimes not you just leave them at home, but a good card to have around for sure. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting is it to me just really quickly is that this deck no longer has Coligan's command hanging around. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Vanishing Verse pushes that out just a little bit because of um, that ability to deal with lots of different kinds of permanents that um, K Command cannot, you know, random artifacts and things like that. The uh, last thing I would talk about really quickly is nothing. So why don't we why don't we go on to talk about uh, a little bit more about decks that Spike has been trying out in Modern this week, and uh, specifically around a lot of we're gonna have a lot of tape about Clever Lumamancer, I think. So let's take a look at that next. All right, let's head on head on out of here and uh, stay with us. All right, and we're back. Uh, so as we mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking a lot about new new stuff going on across both modern and historic uh, a bit because of Strixhaven's release. Uh, new cards, new decks, new options. There's a lot of stuff going on, although uh, a little bit less so in modern. And so I think the first thing we want to talk about in modern is a card that uh, has definitely made a splash, especially if you've been in leagues the last week, and that is Clever Lumamancer. So just so everybody remembers, Clever Lumamancer is your one drop 01 with 
hyper prowess and um it's a threat everybody seems to love playing so Everett brewed up a couple of different lists i've been trying a couple of different things what so when this card was spoiled were you just kind of like i'm pretty sure this card is modern power level or what were you what were you thinking about it yeah absolutely uh this is a card that you know my, my initial evaluation is that it was another one mana prowess threat which is a super high value thing where monastery swift spear is the best creature in modern and the problem with Swift Spear is that the next best threat is just like a tier below it in power level. Right. And I do think Lumimancer is worse than Swift Spear in most decks. Uh, you can build around it to make it more powerful if you go all in with like Ground Rift and Flusterstorm. But um, I do think Swift Spear is still the better threat, but it, it does feel like a step up above uh, Soul Scar Mage. Yeah. Which is a really nice thing. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. I got to be honest, when I was reading through, when they spoiled Magecraft, I was like, I don't know if we're going to get a one mana prowess card because because Swift Spear is so good. And I kind of thought if we were going to get one because the ability was so close, I was like, I thought it was going to be worse than this one. But the plus two plus two is really pretty wild sometimes, honestly. You know, <laughs> yeah, mutagenic sure. growth becomes oh, yeah. a plus four plus four. Um there's just a lot of stuff that happens with this deck. And so lots of people were brewing with this. Where, where did you take brewing around this card? Because you had a couple of interesting takes that I think a lot of other people weren't weren't going for. Yeah, so I, I wanted to do some of the more interesting versions because I feel like the, like the red-white variants, the ground rift variants were going to be something everybody else was working on. Yeah. So I, I started off with just blue-red prowess splashing for Lumimancer mostly and also playing expressive iteration the the two mana sorcery the blue red look at the top three put one into your hand one in exile and you can play it this turn and one on the bottom of your library yeah i gotta say when i saw you i watched some of that just guy stream that you're working on and um i was not surprised that expressive iteration made it but it was it was one of those things where like i did the spoilers with, with the team here and um I kind of glossed over it. Stan brought it up on our spoiler episode, and I was kind of like, is this going to be good enough? But I think that it's been proven pretty well. Not proven necessarily, but I think it's highly possible that it is good enough for modern, right? Yeah, I feel like we we mentioned it, and we're like, and Stan was definitely like, yeah, this seems like a good card, and, and I think we didn't go pretty ham about it, but I, I definitely think many other pods of the senior were like, this is the best Strixhaven card. <laughs> yeah, I I think it might be. Actually, I so so I will say in my testing with this Jeskai deck, I did think Lumimancer was good, but I did think that it didn't feel worth just splashing a color in the stock blue red prowess deck just for Lumimancer. Right. Uh, so I think that you could be you could be like a Jeskai prowess deck that gets Lurus as a companion maybe, uh, and look at that and still play like expressive iteration and Sprite Dragon. But I think and and, and play Soulscar Mage over Stormwing so you get Lurus. But I think that uh, stock blue-red prowess uh, is also going to be a fine deck as well. And just not need to, not need to splash for Lumimancer, but get expressive iteration. And that's like the big get is that expressive iteration is a really powerful card that doesn't fit in a lot of decks because you have to be playing cheap spells at sorcery speed. Um, and that you know fits the bill perfectly for blue red prowess and i actually ended up liking the card more than light at the stage and i was wow. really really impressed by it and 
No. I just, every, every time I cast it, I thought it was amazing. Man, that's, that's, a, yeah. that's a big pedigree to beat, I think. Yeah, I love light at the stage. It will bum me out a little bit emotionally if it gets outmoded in this deck. So you, maybe I mentioned before you've been on, but blue-red prowess mm. is my favorite deck yeah, yeah, to I play know. modern. Yeah, yeah, just everybody knows. <laughs> Everyone's like, I heard. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the... Um, I thought it, I think it's really cool to try it out. I'm, I'm definitely going to try this list that you put together. So I was going to ask you the card that was replaced. So you just straight up swapped out in your list for light up the stage for four expressive iteration. And other than that, it's pretty stock or uh, no, not, not, not exactly. So my, for my first list I was playing, I cut the ops or the serum visions or whatever the one mana mm-hmm. cantrip is for iteration. Uh, and then I was playing a three, three sp- split of light up the stage iteration and ended up going to four iteration to light up the stage. It, it is worth note, noting that I, I think specifically in this Jeskai version with Lumamancer, iteration is better because Lumamancer doesn't play as well with light at the stage because mm-hmm. it doesn't trigger it by itself. Right. Uh, is kind of the big thing. So it, it is possible that if you are playing a Soulscar Mage, not Lumamancer, that light at the stage is going to be a bit better or it's close, you play a split. Um, but I, 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 was, I was blown away by it. I thought the card was great. That's awesome. The big thing for me was realizing you could play a land off of the exiled yeah. card that I didn't mm-hmm. quite realize when I first read it. Okay, yep. so yep. thanks for, for indulging me on some Blue Red Prowess talk, and, and I thought the Jeskai list was really cool, but then you went, you took it kind of like a really different way after that that I thought was interesting. A card that I didn't quite expect to see played with Lumamancer, which is Scale Up. Yeah, this is, uh, it brings me back. I'm very nostalgic for this deck. The first deck I ever streamed with was a red green prowess brew with dreadhorde arcanist and scale up and become immense um and whenever i played a lot of that deck when i was first getting into streaming and it always felt like it was one threat away from being a good deck where you had your uh soul skirmage you had your swift spear you had your uh arcanist you wanted to but you wanted to play 15 16 threats and you had to scrape the bottom of the barrel with cards like Abbot of Carol Keep. I hate that card. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. D- D- Dave Dave's soapbox has a picture of Abbot of Carol Keep with like X eyes written on yeah. the side of the soapbox. Yeah. it's always so unimpressive every time I have to play it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, but but it turns out Lumamancer is not only another good threat for this deck. It's actually the I actually think it's in this build it's the best threat. Where uh, in a deck that's playing scale up uh it actually scale up plays better with lumamancer than any other uh of your threats it plays so well with a uh, crash through specifically um and uh, i've i've been uh, it's it just feels like the perfect card for the deck you also being white get Luris as a companion which is really nice um i'm playing like three snakeskin veil i was playing blossoming defense before but uh, someone in my chat pointed out that your opponents are going to be casting a ton of removal at sorcery speed, so you just want to you can get the value, but with that plus one counter instead of the plus two plus two that blossoming defense offers. Yeah, I mean it certainly makes them have to like if you're playing against another prowess deck, you know one of the big things is like the mirror with Lumamancer is like lava dart is sketchy, right? Like it's hard hard to play around, and so snakeskin veil lets you avoid one removal spell and then make them have to use both halves of a lava dart if they want to get rid of it again, which can be, I, I imagine pretty good in that situation. Why, why do you think it's the best threat in this deck specifically? Is it be, just because of the plus two plus two, or is there some other aspect of it that pushes it to the top of that list? Well, when you can, so scale up plays well with all prowess creatures, right? Where, uh, your Swiss spear becomes, you cast it, your Swiss spear becomes a seven, uh, six, I think. Um, but with Lumamancer starting with zero power, it's just even like that big step up and just pump spells in general mm-hmm. play, I think, a, a bit better with Lumamancer than Swift Spear. Um, 
So that's, that's kind of what I was getting at, where Swift Spear is the better card overall, but if you really kind of build around it and more focused on it, Lubomancer does become more powerful. Mm -hmm. Spike, I gotta ask, though, why not just play Infect? So, yeah, a lot of people were asking me that. Uh, your threats are so... Your, your, <laughs> These your idiots are, kept asking me this, including no, 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 you, no. Shane. I mean, I'm happy to answer. Your threats are a lot better in this deck than an Infect, right? You're not just playing one-for-ones for one, you know? You're, you have, instead of... Uh, you know, your unblockable two drop blighted agent. You have dread, dread, dread horde arcanist. And if you untap with that card, you just win. You're not all of your guys died to lava dart, just lumamancer. Not all of your guys died to Renin six, just lumamancer. And you know, you yeah. have protection spells for for your lumamancer from those effects. Yeah, it's a good reminder that you know it's easy to talk about a deck's sort of inherent power level in a vacuum, but then not consider the other cards that other decks yeah. are playing to try to stop you, which is just like, oh yeah, Renin Six exists. In fact, is can just can't. You also get to play Lightning Bolts, which is like a spell that deals infect damage if you were comparing it to infect. Sure. I guess one one last question I had on this deck. Dreadhorde Arcanist in modern has always been like kind of on the outskirts right like it's been it, there's not a ton of shells that have been able to make it happen really well do you think that this is one of the best uses of dreadheart arcanist in modern or what, what do you think yes i do i think arcanist is nuts in this deck it's really built around dreadheart arcanist uh this list just it plays so well with scale up and become immense and crash through and lightning bolts and uh and snakeskin veil that um if it, it fits really really well here, I've played I've played a lot of this deck at this point, uh, and I've had good success with it so far. Um, between you know just with the new cards too, and also I played a ton of matches with this deck. Uh, you know when Modern Horizons One first came out, and I think this is a good shell for Dreadhorde Arcanist if there's any legacy players who have their playset and still want to cast the card. All right, so let's talk quickly about the Red White Prowess deck because that's the deck that seemed to appear in a lot of places um, over the weekend. And definitely it was in the top eight of the event that you top aided. I also have definitely know it's all over the queues right now. So this is much more of a straight port of what I would consider just mono red prowess, honestly, with, with Lumamancer splashed in so that you can have both Luris, which sometimes mono red prowess was already doing sometimes and lumamancer and a couple of good sideboard cards like court firewalker or path to exile rip apart actually the whole sideboard is full of white cards when you look at it kind of through that um i played this deck in a league um last night on saturday night i actually yeah, played man, you, you i thought i was surprised you were, you were like yeah i don't know if i really have time to play magic <laughs> online and all of a sudden like you're like yeah oh, i went for one or something oh sorry to spoil dave yeah well i mean it was great like you know i i felt pretty good about it i played the fracom list from the from the saturday challenge that came in seventh place i think um to me, this deck really for one thing it's running two cabinet carol keeps and i was just like i cannot get away from this card I don't know if there's some other way to do it. I still don't think that card is great. I literally have never cast an extra card off of Abbott of Carol Keep. I never have enough lands <laughs> to do it. Um, this really does just feel like the new version of Mono Red Prowess to me, though, which was already a decent deck. And, you know, different builds have had different levels of success. You know, M. Hayashi got a ton of trophies with it a number of different times. The Obosh builds, you know, Ryan Overturf, of course, is somebody who... Um, you know, has been known for playing Red Prowess back in back maybe a year ago, kind of before Luris was around. Um, what do you think about the long term viability of this particular build, uh, Everett? As far as do you think this is like a new pillar of burn kind of decks, or what? What do you think how this fits in going forward? 
Well, it's I, I like the look of this list. I think that this is a seems like a very safe and good way to build this deck immediately. Uh, the reality is that red decks, red, white, blue, red, Naya, you know, all, all of these decks, they now have more tools than fit into a 60 card deck very obviously. Right. And I, you know, it's hard to say a deck like this is going to be stock in two months, but I do think that, you know, either a, a burn style deck with Lubomancer or a prowess style Lubomancer or a blended deck like this one is going to be... Uh, a, a, a a force in modern, yes, going forward, yeah. and that uh, you're going to see lists like this that are playing Lubomancer more, you know, fairly less all in, and then you are going to see lists that are playing Lubomancer in a more all in capacity, and um, and I think that's a good thing that there's not a super obvious way to build these decks. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we have this whole. We've talked about it a couple times. You know, we did a whole episode. I don't know, three or four months ago, where we played red black prowess, we played blue red prowess, and we played red green prowess. Like the red, like prowess is just an archetype that can mold itself to a lot of different metagames right now. And so I totally agree that like sometimes the fortunes for this one will be up. And I think sometimes the fortunes for blue red will also will be up in maybe a different part of the metagame or maybe even at the same time, because certainly, you know, I think this kind of deck has a bit of a reputation for being all in on aggro and i don't really think that's always the case like similar to i think how people feel about prowess in general it's not always about winning fast you don't always have that opportunity and sometimes it's about trying to figure out how to uh, sculpt a game plan or bounce back or use the cards that you have to get the most value so that you can kind of tempo your opponents out instead and certainly this deck has an entire plan built around going into the mid game with luris which is a really nice and attractive part of of this particular build um so I, I really like this list as well. One thing that was really interesting to me was I had a couple of times where I did like 16 or 18 damage on turn two with Lumamancer <laughs> and like Manamorphose and then play three mutagenic growths and like, like it kind of got wild a couple of times. So it is cool that there is the potential in this particular build to just win on turn three and maybe on turn two, even occasionally when someone just taps out for like an aether vial, like that happened. That's what happened is that I knew the coast was clear. My opponent played a turn one aether vial into my clever Lumomancer. And then it was just like, okay, game on. I don't think that they're going to have, you know, I don't think they're going to have a uh, force negation to kind of stop my metamorphose or something. And so we're just going to go. Um, so could have been Merfolk, Dave. It's, it's true. It was off of planes though. So that would have been quite surprising. <laughs> you never know what Nika choose up to. It's true. Uh, no. The other thing that I thought was a cool piece of tech in this deck that's worth keeping an eye on is that this deck actually runs two Boros Charms in the main mm -hmm. deck, and giving Lumamancer double strike is wild sometimes. Like, the reach mm. is nice. Being able to hit just dome somebody for four is nice, just like you, like you usually think it is with Boros Charm, but you have a lot of moments where suddenly you're just attacking with a 16-16 threat, and it's just like, here, here I come. Yeah, and one thing I want to say is that a lot of the best decks in Magic's history have had these nut draws and also amazing reliable plan Bs like like this Prowess deck. Like Splinter Twin has had these crazy nut draws that your opponent always has to respect. Like Blue-White Miracles and Legacy can just go top into Counterbalance or could go top into Counterbalance. And then any other draw besides that was also really good. Um, so I, that's one thing I really like about this deck is that it has those kill you on turn two with Lumimancer draws 
and can also play a really long and grindy game. And it's not going to have those draws as often as like the all-in variants are, but it still has them. Yeah. Mono Red Prowess could already kill on turn three for what it's mm-hmm. worth at different points in time. So moving up a whole turn is huge, but you still also have turn three kills as well, of course, when you have turn two. So um, I guess the last deck I wanted to ask you about, just because I've heard you t- mention it a couple times, and LSV wrote an article a couple week and a half ago or so outlining clever Lumomancer builds. And one thing he did talk about was the Ground Rift kind of storm version of the deck, which seems really attractive when you look at what Lumomancer does. But the thing is, you have to run Ground Rift to be able to to make it work. So what, what's your impression on those kind of builds that are much more, more combo-y with Lumomancer than anything else? I think they're very cool. One thing is that you sacrifice card quality and you sacrifice consistency uh, by being, you know, having these crazy nut draws, right? Where your deck is very fragile to removal and your quality of threats is also a lot lower because while you do have Lubomancer, you're also playing like Light Scribe and Divmaga Settlemental over, you know, Soulscar Mage, over, uh, you know, Dreadhorde Arcanist or Stormwing Entity or Sprite Dragon. Um, and and, and uh, I think these decks are very cool. I don't think that they're going to be here in the long run. I think that they are easy to play around once people, you know, once you learn your lesson, this is a format full of one-man removal. I think they're also decks that mulligan really aggressively and don't mulligan that well. Um, I would love to be wrong because I like Divagus Elemental a lot. And I, I think I think that, you know, these are, these are functional decks and if you really like them, you can play them, but... I don't see them uh, being at the top tables of tournaments. Yeah. I mean, Niv-Magus Elemental, definitely a card that people have been looking for an excuse to put in a deck for years now, right? With, card. with Storm Great cards. Card, and yeah. so people people love it. People want to make it work. And we're, in a weird way, Clever Lumomancer is a redundant is redundant to that card as well. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it is cool that you have eight one-drops that work well in, this, in that style of deck. Um, just Light Scribe feels like, kind of feels like the Abbot of Carol Keep of this archetype so you know maybe if you get another one mana threat that works similarly to these in a year or two then the ground rift deck becomes uh, a force yeah totally all right let's let's turn the page and try something totally different so you talked a little bit earlier about a um some teamer stuff that you were working on it looks like this is a different build than we were talking about with a kind of teamer reclamation but you have you've done some stuff with a teamer uh teamer taking turns deck with rowan in it yeah, I, I don't think this deck is going to be similarly very competitive, but I, I do think that there is something here, and I'm trying to to figure it out. Rowan, the three-mana Planeswalker, the Scholar of Sparks, does seem <laughs> pretty interesting in a takings turn deck where it's making your spells cost one less, which is always nice, and you get to ultimate it super fast. It ultimates uh, two turns after it comes down, and sometimes you just take those turns immediately. And then the ultimate allows you to get an emblem where you can spend two mana to copy any instant or sorcery spell you play. And it's really nice to copy uh, time walk effects. And so, you know, these taking turn decks also play Fires of of Invention usually to, you know, double spell on your uh, extra turn turns. And so when you play Fires, you also have that backside Planeswalker, the Will, which is just a five mana Planeswalker that'll allow you to draw two cards, sometimes ultimate and win you a game with uh, some elemental tokens. And so that flexibility is also nice. You still get the cost reduction on that card. And uh, this deck felt solid. Like, Rowan did feel like it was good in a deck like this. Uh, 
But, you know, I think the big problem with, with taking turn strategies in Modern is that the format is very aggressive, and you no longer have Mystic Sanctuary, which was, like, just the perfect card for your deck. Right, so, so you can't do any loops to buy you time until you really get yeah. your time walks online. I'll just read this deck list really quick so people can see it. So it's four time walk, four fires of invention, four Rowan Scholar of Sparks, four Saver of the Moment, one Nexus of Fate, one Jace, four Lightning Bolt, two Girl Spiral, three Snapcaster Mage, three Renin Six, four Explore, two Valakut Awakening. And that, oh, and two Nar- Narset Parter of Veils are the cards in the deck now. Of course, it has a beautiful mana base where you get access to Ketria Triome and all that kind of stuff. Um, Spike favorite reflecting pool. Yeah. 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 I mean, it looks sweet. This is definitely not a deck that I spent a lot of time playing. How have you, how have you done with it? Do you feel like it's worth going back to uh, keep an I've eye played, on? Or? I've played one league. I I think I two, three or three, two. Uh, I might not play it again. We brewed it on stream and I was, I was playing Kazmina, the, the other, the other planeswalker from the set, just kind of, kind of try it out because that lets you ultimate row in the turn after you play it. It's good with Narset because it gives Narset a plus two. So you can plus two, then minus two. Uh, but that card uh, felt really bad. So, uh, and I also felt like I wanted to cast Explore on turn two every single turn of every single game. Um, so I I went ahead and cut that card for two copies of Growth Spiral. Explore is better at this deck than Growth Spiral because it gets cost reduced by your Rowan, I think, and, and it also allows you to put Valakut Awakening into play while Growth Spiral doesn't. But uh, I think like six Explorers feels like a good number for this deck and. Uh, I might play it again. I might not, but I maybe someone else can brew with it and find some success. Spike, I'm curious. You mentioned the explore and, and grow spiral sort of combo, uh, or just the the package of them, right? And I feel like that's something that I've been hearing more in terms of the teamer or simic based builds in historic as well, where people are just like, yeah, like I'm just I'm realizing that I just want to play explorers and I want I want land land drops that also cycle extra land drops that ramp me and cycle is it are these cards you think that have been underappreciated or are they just sort of finding a niche in the meta where it's like i don't i don't really care about taking turn two kind of off and all i really care about is this card replacing itself and me getting a mana advantage on my opponent well the reality is in historic there is very little good one and two mana interaction there is a shocking lack of good one man and two man interaction got a little bit more with inquisition and memory lapse out of the historical archives but in historic there's not a ton of great stuff to do on turn two in these spell-based decks might as well put another land into play contrast that with modern on turn two you often need to be holding up a counter spell for your opponent's primeval titan or their car liberated or their comp or their gibson given um so it's harder to play that card in like your fair you know, mid-range control decks in modern, but in a deck that's just trying to ignore your opponent and take as many turns as possible, really good fit for Explore Growth Spiral. Right on. Awesome. Any other thoughts on modern as we kind of hop out from here? I think we've talked about the, the biggest card that I think really is going to make changes to the format, which is Lumamancer. Uh, I wanted to talk about Prismari Command. Okay. Um because my stream is just full of, you know, is it mages? Is it stands? You want this? Yeah. yeah, they just want this card to be so, so good. What is it uh, about our our overlapping communities in many ways? <laughs> why, why, why do the casual spikes love Prismari Command? Uh, because what they have good taste. I think yeah. I don't know. I mean, is it is just super cool? Is it is my favorite color combination? Um, Weird. Same. And I, I think I think they they really want this card to be good, uh, and. 
you know, to their credit, it is currently bugged on Magic Online, where <laughs> if you deal two damage to your opponent and choose the loot mode, then your opponent has to discard two, and you draw two, and it still deals two to them. What? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, so if it if it actually did that, uh, it would be it would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, however, I am of the opinion that this card is very medium. It's not unplayable. I think it's a card that some decks will want to play some number of. It's a good tool to have access to in specific metagames. I do think that it is actively good in a couple of decks. I think that it's good in if you are already a teamer mid range control deck that's playing Renin Six. You're going to really, really like this flexible fair spell that lets you loot away those extra lands. Mm -hmm. If you're playing Blue Red Through the Breach, the looting and the mana and the interaction is really relevant. You're going to want to play one or two copies of this card. And, you know, if you have other synergies with uh, the treasure tokens, um, I was playing this Blue Red Dragons deck that plays Goldspan Dragon a little bit. And, you know, the real idea behind that deck is you get to go Goldspan Dragon and immediately have Silmgar scored up, no matter if they target it with a removal spell or let you attack with it. Um... And so it's going to be a card that some decks will want one or two copies of, uh, and it's going to be a fine tool to have access to, but it's not going to be a format-defining command that we want it to be. It's, yeah. not, it's not Kologon's command. It's not Cryptic command. It's not even Archmage's charm, you know? Yeah. It's a very weird card design to me, still, that they made the card that's so close to Kologon's command, in my mind. Like, why why doesn't it have a conditional counter like that might give it a little bit more space instead of just destroy target artifacts i don't know it's a weird weird card design to me because you're almost always going to want to run cole against command in for value like this is the thing that it sounds like to me you're saying is like it's not really a value card you really want is it charm to be pretty good in your deck if you're going to play this right and so that's tough and unfortunate but you know choice for breach yeah for sure for sure, and it's it's gonna it's a card you can play in modern for sure, but just not in every blue red X deck, and uh, that's okay. Most cards that are printed are not modern playable, and it is more modern playable, I think, than all the other commands. When I first was doing my set evaluation, I thought that Witherbloom command, I thought the, I thought that you could destroy any non-land permanent CMC two or less. Same, same, same. And I I thought that that this card would be really good. Uh, and just go on turn two, kill your guy, get a land back, two for one, your opponent. But it can only destroy non-creature, non-land permanents, and give minus three, minus one. And uh, I haven't cast it yet. Maybe it's better than I think it is. But uh, I actually do think Witherbloom Command could be good in Legacy, where there's a lot more one-toughness creatures. You get to return your wastelands to your hand. There's a lot more non-creature, non-land permanents with CMC one or two. Um uh, the, you know, the Drain 2 is nice to have access to as well, but uh, I don't think it's going to be a big splash in modern. I think Prismari is the best of the modern commands. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. The two mana is very enticing, but it's just it didn't hold it up, hold up quite enough. All right, Shane, so we're going to go back to Clever Lumamancer for a minute oh, in yeah. a different format, yeah? Oh, yeah, and this deck is so much worse than the one that you were showcasing. Like, when, when I saw the deck list you posted, I was just like, I want that card, I want that card, I want that card, and none of them are historic legal. Uh, but, because they, why, why not? Why can't they give us Bolt? We deserve it. Red Mages deserve Bolt in historic. I mean, if Brainstorm is there, come on. Yeah, not Bolt, though. So, of course, uh, of course I'm a longtime aggro mage. I was very amped to test out our the podcast's new best friend, Clever Lumancer. 
I will now call uh, them Lumi uh, in, in a Boros shell. And these decks more or less immediately appeared in the, the Magic Twitterverse, and I was happy to take one for the team and start playing uh, with this deck. Um, interestingly, and perhaps unsurprisingly, people are already iterating on this deck really quickly. I'm gonna talk about a few versions of this deck that I've already seen sort of pop up and uh, give my overall thoughts on kind of how this deck is is working in the meta, I think. So the first version is essentially taking the pretty lackluster red wizard concept and adding Lumimancer, maybe some lightning helix and enough white mana to reliably cast Lumimancer on one. And that means like 14 to 15 white sources if you really want the 90% chance to have turn one white or even like maybe 92. Uh, Having this many white sources ends up being this consistent issue I had with this deck. There's only 12 legitimately good red-white duels in Historic, the Shock, the Pathway, and the Fastland. So you're stuck running at least a few basic planes if you want 15 white sources, and that's a real drawback in a deck where you might want to untap and start casting a bunch of red spells out of your hand. Um, even the Pathway like forces you to choose between white and red, and that effectively acts as a planes for the rest of the game anyway. And so you aren't casting your red spells with it either. And But, you know, adding white mana does give you access to Luris as your companion, of course. And that's always this kind of endlessly surprising, like, massive value opportunity in, like, what Luris can do when it's online and on the battlefield for any length of time whatsoever. So... This early version of this deck was just using Luomancer, Gitu Lava Runner, Soulscar Mage as your wizard triumvirate, and then just a pile of burn spells to try to clear the opponent's creatures, maybe go to the dome if you can, and swing in. So you had your Shocks, your Pillar of Flames, your Lightning Strikes, which is just a terrible card. Uh, Skewer the Critics, Wizard's Lightning, you get the idea, right? Um, I tested this a good amount, and it felt okay, but kind of like these decks always do, where it's just like, hey, you're slow. Like, you're just a little bit too slow. Your your spells cost a little bit too much. Uh, you you aren't as efficient as I want. You're not cantripping at all with, like, Metamorphose. And so it's just like, you know, I don't have Lightning Bolt. So the power level, combined with the, with the mana cost, is just a little bit not there. And like I mentioned, I think 15 white sources is just too much. Like... Do you really need like 93% chance to have turn one white? Like you do have Soul Scar Mage in this deck. You do have Gitu Lava Runner. Uh, you can survive without maybe having basic planes in your deck. And that's kind of where version two, where people started iterating on this theme a little bit. Yeah. I mean, before we go on to the next version, why, why are decks like this not good in Historic? They're just not fast enough. Is that what we think? Like there's always Wizards Lightning trying to get Skewer the Critics. Like people sometimes use this deck as like a ladder deck for when people just want to have do some best one and things like that. But they never make the top tiers. Is it just we don't have Lightning Bolt and we don't have Monastery Swift Spear, but the rest of the format is as powerful as modern? Is that kind of the problem or or what do, what do you think? I think one of the things I've noticed is that the format plays to the board more sometimes than modern can and like i could be wrong about that like i could have a mistaken idea of what modern is about but when i when i look at it it doesn't seem like it's playing to the board quite as much as i think historic does and so this deck can kind of get outclassed by 
large toughness creatures, which red always has challenges dealing with, unless you have soul scar mage down to kind of shrink them a little bit. And so I think it's just kind of, it's like you said, I think it's the fact that, yeah, there's no bolt and yeah, there's no monastery swift spear. And, and yeah, there's also kind of just more innate blockers to deal with. Yeah. Then I think the typical modern like event would have. Yeah. What do you think Everett? Does that sum it up or? Yeah. I, I would say that that is basically true. Your, your, your cards are underpowered. They don't do quite enough and they cost a little bit too much. Um, I think the man in this deck is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with, with Shane. <laughs> I, I feel like I would only ever play one planes. It's like you, you yeah. could usually draw the first one. The first one's probably fine to draw. The second planes is just, just like, a feels nightmare. Like you lose the game. I don't know. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Um, um, I, I wanted to say also like you mentioned this in your notes, but there's no lightning helix in this deck, which it, there's you could play that over strike, right? I I took okay. Here's what I did. Okay, I took out. I took out the lightning helix. There's two lightning helix, and I actually swapped in crash through because I wanted more card draw, and also because it's a more board based type of format. Like I just wanted to have some trample. Um, and weirdly, like I was like, when I'm testing this deck, I'm gonna think about when I draw a crash through. Would I rather have a lightning helix? And I drew, drew crash through like one time in like ten matches. And so, well, wouldn't you want a helix over strike? Yeah, I mean that's actually a perfectly. That's a yeah, right on. I should have Helix over Strike for yeah. sure. Um, just because it's playing better. Uh, Come on, Shane. Yeah, it, it was small edges. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't think I was losing because I was getting out aggro. Yeah, I was yeah, just sort yeah. of yeah. losing because I was, was running out of steam. Uh, and what the second version was doing, I think, was trying to get a little bit more aggressive and trying to actually increase the turn that you would average, more average kill with this deck. And so it in, in, included four bowmat couriers it included uh it reduced some of the more expensive clunky burn spells like lightning strike it started adding in some viashino pyromancer for that reliable and even potentially repeatable source of damage with luris um also as a wizard of course and um it reduced the number of white lands to i think like everett said a single planes Right, so we're we're taking a little bit off the top. I think I still think it's like an eighty-seven percent chance to have like a turn one source of white mana. I'll take those odds if it means I never draw a second planes. Um, I'm fine with that. And so what this deck when I was testing it also it, it re- remembered that the what's the the spike field hazard mm-hmm. land exists, which is just great because. When you have spike field hazard and you don't need another land, that's a prowess enabler, and so that's that's perfectly good just for a cheap uh, instant spell to be able to cast and just trigger your prowess. Um, between these t- first two, I think the second version had more raw potential because more creature threats are typically pretty good. Like Bowmat Courier refilling your hand is always good to have access to. That single basic planes is much better than I think three. When I was actually playing these decks though uh i was not really over the moon about them surprise shane not being over the moon about something but i really wanted to be like i wasn't i wasn't like i wasn't looking to not like this deck right my my record is just pretty poor like i think i'm like you know three and twelve or something like that and like i'd like to think that i know how to play an aggressive boros deck maybe i don't i don't know um there's a lot of potential here but i feel like like we were talking about a little bit ago is that the threats just aren't up to to modern's power level for like this style of deck 
and the spells aren't quite as good. And this, this just adds up like all these small things add up to being like, I'm two turns slower than where I would be in modern or something like that. And it's just, and then the spell based decks or other creature based decks are not. And so like, am I fast enough to get under what these new spell based combo decks are trying to do reliably? Or it's like some turn, some games are just like, well, I've got two Bomat couriers swinging in for like, you know, I've hit you for three damage and I do have cards under them, but you're going to win the game <laughs> in like a turn or two. Um, and then I do or not a gas. I mean, I just do. And like, this is one of the things I think it's just a re- repetition of like my prowess issues, but like you do run out of gas just more quickly in this, in historic versus modern like light up the stage is your refill potential but modern gets like metamorphose as just a a really easy cantrip that also is getting you mana you get metagenic growth just to give you that burst so like whether or not it's replacing itself uh you're able to cast it without mana yeah but mutagenic growth is also super important in prowess because it's mental misstep it really like it's it people forget about it it counters a lightning bolt like it it counters yeah. creature combat so that's that's an aspect of it as well that the for that sure. card lets you do yeah like you don't I, you, you know, can't you can't protect any of these creatures for free or for no. very low cost in this particular uh, exactly show. and that makes your creatures a lot worse than they are in modern uh compared compared to the historic format like a clever lubomancer in historic is not the same card as it is in modern yeah right on so like, I mean, there were plenty of times when I'm swinging on like turn two or turn three for like 12, 14 damage and my opponent's like at eight life or six life, but like, then you don't have anything left and your opponent stabilizes like at four and they're a control deck that has five cards left in hand. And even if you do draw enough burn spells to try to overwhelm their counter magic, like you're just not there and you're top decking a land or something like that. And you're just, you're not going to be able to get through the defenses and you're just, you know, praying that you get your 9% draw to a Ramanap ruins for that last two damage or something like that. Um, yeah, it just sort of feels kind of dire when you, when you run on a steam faster than I think it has in prowess decks or burn decks when I play in modern or even pioneer sometimes. So finally, you took a look around and you went, "This isn't getting it done." I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to play. Uh, I don't want to play Vyashino Pyromancer. I want to go a different way. Where did this end up finally for you? Well, the the latest version that I've seen was has me really intrigued, and it's from a Twitter user Radiant WF. Uh, they said they built this specifically for Best of One, and it is a very aggressive deck that uses it adds so we have the the quartet of Bomac Courier, Lumamancer, Gitu Lava Runner, and Soulscar Mage adds four Dreadheart Arcanist to this quartet. And I think uh Spike's ears already perked up because he was just saying how awesome Arcanist is in the Naya prowess build in modern. And so Dreadheart of course can just flash back these cheap spells for big burst potential. This is the mana cheating we're talking about, where it's like, hey, this is the closest we're going to get to a uh, Phyrexian mana type, type spell. So you get your cheap spells, like Pillar of Flame and Shock and Wizards of Lightning. And of course, well, maybe not of course, but you get your playset of Feather Staple, Reckless Rage, deals two damage to a creature you control and four to one you don't control for a single red mana. Yeah. 
perennial underutilized card in Pioneer, right? Good reminder that it's available here too. I mean, you have to have an opponent has to have a creature out for you to use the spell. Yeah. But, you know, uh, that's nor, neither here nor there when it's that good, when it's good. Uh, there's plenty of decks that have played spells that can be dead, but are so good when they're live that in a best of one format, maybe you just run with it and cross your fingers. Uh, perhaps most importantly, Invigorated Rampage or Invigorating Rampage, whichever one is that? Rated. Yep. Invigorated. Uh, one in a red, instant. Choose one target creature. Gets plus four, plus zero, and gains trample until the end of turn. Or two target creatures. Each gets plus two, plus zero, and gain trample until the end of turn. Uh, yeah. That's a good one. Kaladesh because, staple. Limited staple. Yeah. So uh, you can target your Dreadheart Arcanist with this, along with like a Lumamancer or another spell, or another creature, rather, and then uh, swing in, and then Dreadheart Arcanist triggers with a three power and therefore can get this invigorated rampage back again. Uh, I can double target other itself or other prowess creatures or things like that. So on turn three, you could potentially win. I think, I think there's plenty of lines where there are uh, turn three wins with this deck. So you go turn one Lumimancer, turn two Arcanist, turn three, cast some kind of burn spell for one mana yeah, yeah burn then spell rampage and then recast rampage recast rampage i think it's pretty good i think they can get there so you get Could plus six plus six from spell triggers on your on your lumimancer your arcanist is attacking in for three and then you Dave's doing the math yeah i mean it's so not quite there it's like 16 i think, I think it's 16, i think it counts 17 17 yeah uh, so, yeah, maybe they're not quite dead, but they're pretty darn close to dead. So I'll take it. I mean, there's a lot of explosivity. Um, yeah, there's uh, it's cool. And um, I think that I haven't had a lot of time to test this one. Uh, some friends in the Slack have been really hyped about this build. They seem to be having fun with it, having some wins. I think the jury's out overall on Boros Wizard options in Historic. I think there's a lot of explosive potential here. I think... I think your game one needs to be as explosive as possible. Like, I think you you have to be trying to, you know, infect them out. You have to be trying to uh, scale up them out. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to do your best Naya Boros, your best Naya uh, prowess impression, your best infect impression. Perhaps. I could be wrong. Uh, and then try You can win long games with Luris. You can win long games with your sideboard options. There's a lot of decent sideboard options against the current meta right now. Um, of course... Uh, do not try to run what's the one in the red card that when you cast a spell without paying mana you take five damage roiling vortex yeah don't don't play roiling vortex in this deck because it good darkness hurts you will die yeah okay so anyway yeah that's my general thoughts on on uh on boros i think people are having some early success i don't know if that's just uh ten thousand darts have been thrown at this board and a few have hit the bullseye because i think people are into this deck but We'll see. I wonder if Showdown at the Skulls is worth losing Luris for. The four, yeah. the four mana saga? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd love to have access to the Acroan War. Like, I had Luris at his What card my... is that, Shane? <laughs> three <laughs> three and a red. Yeah. Three and a red, and the first one snags the creature for as long as the Acroan War is down, and then it does some other stuff that I don't really care about as much. The, mo- the main thing is grabbing your opponent's aura of creature and winning. Um, but yeah, like, so, uh, funny story. I had Luris at as my companion. 
and uh, I was searching for the Acroan War, and I was like, where is the Acroan War? Did they break sideboarding with this whole update? And it's like, it literally acts like the card does not exist. Yeah, I've like, been it frustrated it by that it's, too. It's, it's not grayed out. It's just like, no, this, this you don't have this card. Anyway, yeah, I think I think it would. There's some more options that not having Luris would give you. I don't know. I think people are going to iterate on this. I think there's a lot of options. Wait, then you can't board in your Acroan War and then have Luris as a companion, or board out your Acroan War and then have Luris as a companion. Oh, you, sorry. If it's already if it's, if it starts in your sideboard, never mind. The problem yeah. too, yeah, that's exactly it. And the problem is, is they're in deck building too. But the, and there's no indication that tells you the reason you're not finding stuff is because you have a companion selected. So it's it's kind of like. Ugh. I really thought my I was just like bugged out. All right. Well, I think that there's, you know, there's going to be some aggro deck that gets to the top of the pile and may, maybe this one will get fast enough eventually, but I, I just can't help feeling like maybe there's one more uh, fast thing that we like free slash cheap slash cost reduced spell that would really help get this over the top. Um, yeah. I mean, there could be Dave, 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 is are there other aggressive decks that people are playing? With with all the spells in them, well, you know I like is it prowess, and so I'm sure anybody who's ever listened to this podcast also knows that I really liked is it phoenix, uh, and we did a long kind of uh, dive ish down about is it phoenix last week, so I just wanted to update a little bit because I've actually been playing the deck some, and the reviews have been like super mixed on this deck. Like some people are like it's fine, some people are like it's terrible, some people are like it doesn't fit for the format. Some it's, people are like every build every build is wrong. You're yeah. all doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I got to play it a good amount on Thursday, Friday night, and actually did really well with it. I'm seven and zero right now. The deck took me through plat into diamond, which is cool. Um, I had one one win with Mardu Shadow in there for fun to finish a quest, but the um, I picked up Holy Holy Divas list, which I thought was really interesting because one of the main things that we talked about last week was around this idea of we're going to play Sprite Dragon, but do we play Crackling Drake or um, or do we play Storming Entity? And the list that she had posted was uh, no Sprite Dragons, but three Crackling Drake and two Storming Entities in addition to your Phoenixes. So it was a much kind of like bigger threat deck. And I actually liked that quite a bit because to me, I, I so often feel like Sprite Dragon is just so um, vulnerable to, to getting killed, especially with no free th- free spells to be able to help protect it. Have you been watching the uh, kind of development of these is it lists? And I don't know how, like, were you pl- were you an is it player at all during that era, or were you kind of doing other uh, stuff? I I hate to uh, you know toot my horn too much, but I uh, was one of the pioneers of the is it Phoenix deck. It was one of my first brews. I played it at the SCG Open uh, the first weekend. Arc like Phoenix was legal, and I I think I was the first one to play Thing in the Ice and Arc like Phoenix in the same deck. And wow! Ross Marion picked it up and you know threw Crackling Drakes in there, but uh, it was before I was streaming. But that was like my first like successful modern brew. Yeah. Wow! Well, I did not realize that, Edward. I am. I will do my homework more next time. You no, inspire, I mean nobody. No, nobody knows because I I I like I was a nobody and I still am, but. In, in some way, uh, yeah. you've you've actually inspired this podcast existence because yeah. I got all a deck tech about. with SCG. It was cool. That's yeah. fantastic. Right. All right, so so deck has a special place in your heart, which I was not totally sure about. That's awesome. So, what do you think about the kind of list that maybe you're seeing go by on Twitter? I'm sure people are asking you about it in your chat all the time. Mm, they, they have been. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, I really like Ho- Holy Diva's uh, takes on the list. Uh, I've been I've been watching from the outside because I just don't really have a arena collection. Uh, my opinions are that in the main deck you don't want to play Sprite Dragon. I think that in the historic format specifically, the big draw to Blue Red Phoenix is that your threats are incredibly resilient to removal. And so if your main threats are Phoenix and Crackling Drake, if they're ever removing your Drake, you're getting a two for one and your Phoenixes are recursive. And then I kind of like the idea of sideboarding Sprite Dragon against decks that don't have a lot of removal because that's really, really where it shines. So um, that's uh, that's likely where I'd be uh, kind of starting is, is with, you know, four Crackling Drakes, four Phoenix in the main deck, and like Sprite Dragons in the sideboard for the like combo big mana decks. Uh, Interesting. And, um, and, and you know, then like narrow sideboard cards. Yeah. Kind of maybe. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's totally kind of where she evolved to too. I saw today on Sunday, a Holy Diva actually mentioned on Twitter that she was taking back a little bit of her Sprite Dragon hate because the historic meta does have a bunch of those big mana decks right now, so it could be appropriate. I think the idea of running it on the sideboard is super interesting as well. Um, Crackling yeah, if, if that's the case, that that's probably where you want to be. Yeah, Crackling Drake is really good. Like I forgot yeah. how good it, it is, honestly. And I had kind of talked down about it because I love Stormwing Entity in Modern. I found Stormwing Entity to be fine, by the way. Being resilient to um, to Fatal Push, I think, is still super helpful in, in some situations. Uh, so that's why I, I kind of like running a couple of those as well. And also Scry 2 goes so well with um, with Brainstorm. You can get rid of your stuff. You Brainstorm, you play it, you get rid of stuff you don't want. But um, I just felt like the biggest thing about it is I don't really know how good this deck is going to be, but I can say that it works. It works almost as well as the modern one did in some ways. Like you get Phoenixes back out of the yard. You can play to an early kind of like nut draw like Everett was talking about with the Boros Burn deck and get your turn three Phoenixes out there. There's no way to get turn two Phoenixes out there, but you can do a lot of stuff. And um, you also have the ability to recur them really, really easily. And the biggest thing, too, I think about Phoenix is that the sideboards, the way that people are approaching the sideboards, of course, is that, you know, being able to side into some amount of counter magic, really specific uh, sideboard cards that help you in certain matchups is one of the strengths that this deck had, and I think it also has it in Historic, too. Now, you know, some of the lists that you see are a lot of, like, one-ofs, which is pretty interesting because it's kind of like one Disdainful Stroke and one of this Counterspell and one Spell Purse and one this. And so you do have to, like, think about what cards to take out in that situation. But I really enjoyed this kind of, like, mid-rangey deck as well. And like I said, like, I played a lot of different decks. I didn't play any of the Magma Opus decks yet because mostly I played on Friday night. And I don't think the people had quite caught up to that yet. So I'll be curious to see where this goes from from there. But Faithless and Brainstorm make it happen. And they make it happen almost know, yeah. almost as almost more consistently sometimes than, than it did in Modern. Notably, I think this is the most obvious good Brainstorm deck in Historic, which is a place where a lot of people are going to want to be and is probably a really good place to be. Yeah. One of the things that was super interesting to me about this too, is that uh, the list that I was playing actually had two lightning strikes in it. So it was like, it was like four shock, two pillar of flame, two lightning strikes having burn in this deck as well. Like a good amount of burn, I think is actually a really, really good way to go so that you have targets for your spells and so that you have good reach. And so I and, and, and so you can kind of play a game plan until you get your engine going. Exactly, too. and and you can kill creatures, and there's a lot of creatures that shock 
kills uh, a lot of important creatures that shot kills anyway so i i feel like it it works like it's to me it lives up to the hype i know that some people are kind of like it's trash i regret playing it uh on twitter i've seen but like it felt close enough to phoenix to me that it definitely scratched that itch for someone who just wanted to cast a bunch of spells and put some birds in the sky you know yeah it looks so fun you're all monsters <laughs> i mean i've only played I've, i haven't I've had surprisingly few matches against uh, Is It Phoenix yet, and I feel like the weaknesses of the deck still do feel like the weaknesses, where it's like my opponent keeps seven, and I'm like, was this person who just doesn't know what they're doing? Like, they, they, they do nothing for three turns, and they don't have a couple of Phoenixes in the yard just yet. And so maybe it's like that learning curve, where it's like people just don't... People who have never had the chance to play it in modern have heard about it. And now they're like, well, I can play it in historic and let me try to figure out how to do it. And I think that there's going to be a good number of people in like the huge player pool of arena that I think might make the deck not look as good as it probably is. And I think that's kind of like me with a lot of decks and arena anyway, like, but I think it's just kind of like the nature of the beast, right? Which is just like, I think that I, I shouldn't be tempted to say the deck doesn't look good when there's plenty of, you know, average players, new players, players who don't have months and months and months of of casting Faithless Looting and, and things like that to, to reanimate some burbs. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about keep mole decisions with a deck like this ever, just out of curiosity. Like, I often do. I mean, of course, Phoenix is like the draw you're looking for is, you know, we made a pin for this even for our merch that was two Phoenix, one Faithless, zero problems was what that. So that that's what you really want. You know what I mean? And a good spell suite to go along with it, which is great. But there are a lot of games here where I, I don't think that you have to mull that hard to having Phoenixes in your hand. Right. Like I, I don't personally feel like that's the way to play this deck. I want to have draw spells in my hand and I want to get my engine going and cast my cantrips so that I have a chance to dig to Phoenixes and also honestly dig to other, um, other cantrips. And so in that way, that's, that's how I think is the proper way to approach it. So I do feel like sometimes when people get that draw where they're like, I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold till turn three, and then I'm going to cast faithful student because I only have two spells. Like I'm not necessarily a big fan of like, approaching that that way but what what do you think about that kind of play pattern i i agree i think one of the biggest draws to phoenix is that it's very consistent and doesn't mulligan that often because most of its hands are very redundant even if you don't have your phoenixes you have cantrips to find them so i I agree with you yeah awesome one last card i want to ask you about phoenix a lot of people talking about running one maximized velocity to make uh crackling jake drake into just like a you know hasty beater do you think it's worth it to do something like that or uh, is that a fun I, I think i think it probably is i remember i also played a lot of standard uh phoenix and i remember i really always liked the first copy of maximized velocity i was usually pretty happy to see the first copy but then it's one of those where you like it's hard to play more than one because if you draw two sometimes you just have non-functional draws um I do think that in Magic the Gathering, people don't play enough one-ofs. I think that there are lots of cards like this Maximize Velocity, uh, like like the Planes that we were talking about earlier in the Boros deck, where the first Planes is usually fine to draw. You never want to draw two. Uh, I think I think people don't play enough one-ofs in decks in general. I think that uh, people have kind of been conditioned that you, know, you just want to have four-ofs you know, for the most part, but there's just something to think about. I remember talking about this, I think, back in the, our early days, where it's like, when you're going to see 
like half your deck potentially, or like in, in modern, even like, you know, two thirds of your deck, you can, you can, especially in, is it Phoenix? Like you can play those spicy one ofs either main or sideboard because the, the tech piece can be a tech piece when you're just going to burn through so much of your deck. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And especially this one that lets you use it again from the graveyard. So with flash bad, my favorite mm-hmm. mechanic. Um, all right. Last thing before we finish up here, a card I wanted to pick your brain about ever, because I haven't, I've seen it, but I'm curious about how you feel about running it, and that is memory lapse. What do you think about memory lapse in general? Like, how, how what kind of decks do you feel like it belongs in? Uh, I think it's mostly a control card, and I think that memory lapse is really good for historic, where historic has been like distinctly lacking on a good two mana counter spell mm-hmm. in the format. Like when I was playing that historic PT like six months ago. Tails End was a really well-positioned main deck card back in the Uro metagame, yeah. the Muxus metagame, countered Muxus. It was good against like a lot of the Junsack things, or some of them at least. And there just was like a distinct lack of good uh, two-mana counter spells, And so now you have one, and that's good. Yeah. Can you help me understand a little bit? Because my, my t- take on it has always been a little bit like, and this is because of the decks that I used to play Memory Lapse in a long time ago, like pre-Type 2 era, like me and my friends playing with Homelands kind of stuff. Um so when you counter something, so I always like preferred it in like aggressive blue decks where I have a clock down and I'm I'm using it more like remand than I am like counter spell. You know what I mean? Which I think is a fine use for it as well. Like one deck I've really liked in historic lately is Mono Blue Spirits, and so I kind of feel like it's a good fit for that deck. But on the flip side, when you run it in control, you don't have a clock online on turn two, so you're just trying to time walk your opponent so you can get more lands up, or and that's just good enough. Yeah, so well, it does a few different things. Yes, it just buys, it just time walks your opponent, and then you know, you being in the control deck, you tend to have the better late game than your opponent. So just buying time efficiently, two man, two for two mana, one for winning your opponent. It doesn't matter what it is. This is a one for one. That's pretty valuable, and the card synergizes particularly well with a uh, you know pet card of mine, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, where you get to go Teferi, untap two mana memory lapse whatever you have yeah. right and that's that like the, the lack of a two mana counter was holding that card back in historic and now you have a great one and just like the whenever you're drawing a card a turn you just get to stop their spell stop their spell it's 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 going to be really good in those shells i think yeah and then you get to come back the next turn with a better counter bigger counter spell up mm-hmm. and also shark uh, typhoon, right? So then you're kind of. And the, like, the also nice thing is, you know what they're drawing next turn, and you can make a game plan to play against the card that they're drawing. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I was I was skeptical, but I saw Gabe running it, and I figured you probably had some thoughts too. So thank thanks for that. Um, that's that's awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it for our kind of meta game check in on this first week of Strixhaven Modern Historic. Not huge waves in modern, although I do think definitely one staple has been found and we're going to have to keep looking to see how often Clever Lumomancer pops up. But Historic, obviously, in disarray and we'll see what happens the next next couple of weeks because of all these super, super powerful cards that were injected in the format. All right. Uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Everett. Everett, you know, I know you don't like to, but I'm going to give you the platform to talk about what you do, where you do it, where people can find you and engage with you and your content. Mm, well, uh, MTGO user Aspiring Spike. Yeah, at your own risk, you can find me, MTGO user Aspiring Spike, at twitch.tv slash Aspiring Spike, where I play mostly modern, 
almost exclusively modern. I played modern on uh, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, and then usually a tournament on the weekends, and it's a good time. Come hang out or don't. Uh, plug over. <laughs> I'm sure that most no. of you know Everett, but he is one of the best streamers for Magic. He's very kind to his Twitch chat as well. He yeah, interacts man, I, with them a lot. So That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, I mean, I... I I watch your stream the most, but I've watched a lot of streams, right? And it's like I mm. the the community that I feel like you fostered there as it even as it grows, it hasn't felt like it's got out of hand. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like a good yeah, community yeah. of people. I think people like want to have a good time and be chill and not you know hate on each other and stuff like that. I I agree. I think I've got a good community. It, it I, I I couldn't agree more. But uh, I get get too sentimental, too choked up when I right. The say community nice is the best part. The chat. Yeah, it's yeah. the best part. It, it really stuff. is. It really is the best part. Absolutely, especially uh, during COVID times. So, yeah, fingers crossed, we'll be able to see each other for paper tournaments sometime in the not too 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 distant future. Can't wait. All right, let me uh, stands out of here. So I'll I'll take us out. That wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You get those latest episodes as soon as they come out automatically. And if you use Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us rating, review, whatever. Uh, Floats your boat. You know we love reviews. I lo- when a new review comes in. I like feel so good about myself. So, you know, just go, go ahead. Uh, if you want to submit a question to the podcast, talk to us about something modern pioneer historic. Uh, we, you can even, this, a, a sub, a, a sub tweet to solve question over to Everett, um, at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com. Join our Patreon. If you want, it's cool. If you don't, uh, any tier gets you immediate access. As soon as I see that email, you're in the super secret Slack server, patreon.com slash the dive down thanks mana traders if you want to rent magic online cards get better at magic uh, mana traders.com uh, use promo code the dive down 15 off those first three months uh, magic arena untapped dot the dive down.com get that untapped software special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music and until next week cleverly luma Mats.